Good morning again. I'm never really sure how to start this part. So that's, we just tell you good morning several times because we want you to know. We hope it's a good morning for you. A couple of weeks ago, I, one of the things I like to do between 10 and 11, if I don't already have a commitment of teaching or leading a group, is I like to go around to our different groups that meet from 10 to 11. A couple of weeks ago, I walked in the group of Parenting with Faith. It's a group that my understanding is when this group began, the kids were younger. That happens with parenting groups. You start when they're younger and then they do this thing and they get older. And so now this group is actually, the kids are a couple of elementary maybe, but mostly middle and high school kids of these parents. And the group is focusing on a study about helping kids understand about generosity and money. And so I walk in the door and the first thing they say, I don't even know if they told me good morning, maybe they did, but they said, who taught you about money? Who taught you about money? What comes to mind? Because if you're anything like me, like my initial response, I then backed up before I answer. I'm like, I don't know. Is that who taught me about money? And I start processing who did teach me about money. My initial response or thought and then my response to the group was that it was my dad. You need to know something about my dad. He was a man of few words. I know. You're like, really? <laughs> My mom is not. <laughs> I will say that. Is that fair to my husband in the back? Um, and I think about, we, we've talked about this before, so it's myself and my sister, my younger sister is just about five years younger than I am, and, and so really, I'm not sure dad had a chance to talk in our family between me, mom, and my sister. And when I think about what dad taught me about money, because he was a man of few words, he didn't really sit, I don't remember dad sitting down and saying, Brooke, this is it. I remember dad sitting down and talking to me about money when my spending was out of what he thought should my spending should be. I remember that part, but I do remember it, it was about how I saw dad use money and including how I saw my dad every Sunday morning. And, and I grew up in a family where we went to church. Like, I don't even remember that being a question of, are we going to church this morning? It was we're going to church this morning. And one of the, the rhythms, the patterns of our Sunday morning were my dad sitting at the desk that he had in our den area and he wrote the check for the church. I have no idea how much that check was. I, I have no idea. I don't know if it was 10% or 5% or 50%. I have no idea. I just know that my dad faithfully wrote that check. And that then my sister and I argued about who was putting it in the plate. I remember that part as well. I remember a family conversation. I don't know if you've ever had any of those where the parents say, we're going to have a family conversation. And everybody goes, whoa, what's this mean? A family meeting. I, I don't remember exactly when it was. I figure I was probably in middle school where I guess it was this time of year at our church and mom and dad talked to us about we were going to make changes at home in our spending 
so that we could give more to the church. I don't know what that meant as far as dollar value or percentage. I just remember that that was a conversation that we had at the dinner table that evening. I don't know how that played out. I don't know if that meant we went from giving 5% to 10 or 10 to 20, I don't know. But those are the memories that come to me when I think about money and who taught me about money. What about you? Where did you learn about money? There's truth within our culture that we are raised in different settings of finances and that we currently live in different settings of finances. For some of us, we were raised in environments where we didn't have much. And that could include how we live today where it is really hard to make ends meet, that as inflation has occurred, how rent, I mean, the, we, we know, like everybody knows, the prices of houses have skyrocketed. But the cost of rent has increased dramatically. Inflation has hit us all, and it has hit us in different ways. For some of us, making rent monthly isn't just an inconvenience. It's, I'm not sure it's gonna happen. And it's exhausting, spending month after month trying to take our paycheck to pay for the basics of life, including groceries, rent. For some of us, inflation and the prices in living has, has affected us. And it means that things may be tighter, but yet we know we're going to be able to pay for things at the end of the month. We have enough. We're just a little frustrated it isn't as much as it used to be. And we have to make decisions differently. But we know we're going to have enough at the end of the month. Yet we keep an eye on our retirement or our savings, and we wonder, and it's exhausting. For others of us, we have been gifted with lots, plenty. And yet, when we think of, the, of Jesus speaking in Luke 12, when he said, from whom much is given, much is required, and we think, God, we're given a lot. You want more? And that's where we find ourselves as we enter the scripture about mastering money, about who is our master. And though our focus this month is about finances and stewardship and giving, yet the basics, the core principles of Jesus's, of Jesus teaching and preaching and modeling for us as we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 isn't just about our finances. It just isn't about money. It just isn't about giving. It's about how we live our lives each and every day by putting God first. Our scripture reading from today is still in Matthew 6, and it was one verse, and it is this incredibly loaded verse. And what I mean by loaded is, do not think because it's only one verse, it isn't that much. I want to remind you about our Bible reading plan 
and how you can keep up with what the focus is each week and through our Bible readings. In fact, tomorrow you will read Matthew 6, 24. It's okay if you read it again. You can read scripture more than once. I'm just here to tell you that. And in fact, my experience is when I read scripture again, I'm like, did they edit that? Because I don't remember that part. And that's one of the gifts of reading scripture. Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Really? It's interesting to consider We can't have two masters, and for some of us, those two masters are money and God, and how do we do that? But as we look at this text, there are four questions. I know some of y'all are like, oh gosh, there are four points today. Great. I've got to hang on for four times. But we're going to talk, I'm going to present four questions with four principles, and I, I want you individually, and as a family when you go home to have conversations about these questions because it's not just limited to our finances, yet it definitely includes our giving. And when we think of the membership vows of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, think about these four questions. The first one is this, who has authority over my life? Who has authority over our life? And the principle is God first. Years ago, I was a trainer in what was called therapeutic crisis intervention. It was a modality of intervention, both proactively and reactively within the setting in which I was an educator, a residential psychiatric facility for adolescents. And I was one of the trainers that would present this content. It was a five-day training, lots of information. And one of the things that we would talk about in that training is about being role models and being positive role models. I will never forget this lady in the midst of a training because new employees had to take this training. So oftentimes you would, have, you would also have to retrain on the concepts routinely to make sure that you were staying faithful to the principles. But it was a new employee. She was new to our organization. And I was talking about being a role model and being faithful to being a positive role model. And she looks at me and she says, I don't want to be a role model. And I was like, whoa. Okay, so give the professional answer, Brooke, right? That's what I had to think. And I told her, I I said that it's not about whether we want to be a role model. We are all role models. The question is, are we going to be positive or a negative role model? I think about that with authority. Each and every one of us respond, we, we report to an authority. Who is that authority in our life? In the words of Jesus, who is our master? Who is it? 
In fact, in the scripture, the word master means Lord. And for us in the 21st century, our understanding of the word Lord is narrowed to our, our Christian experience. We don't hear the word Lord in other ways. Lord means leader, ruler, king, master. We live in a culture that tells us that we are our own ruler, master. We are self-sufficient. We make our own way. And yet, truthfully, even in that, we are responding to someone or something who is in authority over us. It could be that we think we're our own authority, and that isn't effective. The question of who has authority over my life is about God first, that God is the authority. When he says you can't serve two masters, either we're serving God, which could also mean worshiping God, and not just when we come here on Sunday mornings, but each and every day in how we use our resources of time and money, how we spend our days, how we spend our money, how we interact with others. We do that under someone or something's authority. Is God the authority over your life? Is he your Lord? Is he your king? Is he your master? For some of us, we've been answering this question for decades, and we give the Sunday school answer of, yes, it is God. And yet each and every one of us, whether we're new to Christianity or we've been a Christian for as long as we can remember, each and every one of us need to consider at this moment in our lives, who has authority over our lives? Is it God first? One of the gifts of being able to preach is you, or at least I do, I don't know if anyone else does. I find myself questioning myself about, are you living that brook or are you just preaching that brook? And so I, each Sunday that I get to preach in the preparation time, I get to ask myself the same questions. And I wonder, who does have authority over my life? I hope it's God. That's what I want it to be. How am I living that out? It's a question for each and every one of us. The second question for us to consider that we see come out in Matthew 6, 24 is this. Whose is it? God's first. That sister I was talking about earlier, I can remember discussions or maybe arguments about whose something was. Was it my Barbie or was it her Barbie? Yes, I did play Barbies when I was younger, in case you were wondering. Whose was it? Was that my shirt or was that her shirt? Whose was it? What about you? Have you ever had arguments about who something belongs to, whose it is? What about as parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, when our kids get to that age where their favorite word is what? Mine. What about for us? 
Whose is it? Anyway, we hear that ownership is nine-tenths of the law. And honestly, we talk a lot about ownership. Not too long ago on the neighborhood Facebook page, someone was complaining that someone else had put a fence that was a little bit over the property line. It was a question of ownership. Who owned what? As followers of Jesus Christ, ownership of our possessions is first God's. Yes, we earned the paycheck. Yes, we invested the money. Yes, we took those actions. But I don't know about you. I am pretty confident that I, in my 30 years of being a professional, that I am incapable of earning anything without the gifts and graces of God how he made me, the opportunities that have been provided for me, it isn't mine. It's God's first. What about you? Are your possessions God first? And then you, we have been entrusted as stewards of what we've been given, whether it's a lot or little or somewhere in between. Whose is it? If we're honest, if we're faithful to what we believe, it isn't ours first. It is God's first. Whose is it? As we learned a week or two ago about that kingdom vision, that kingdom view, not just being limited by what our understanding on earth, but about the kingdom of God, that is the vision of God's first. We can't serve two masters. It's either God or it's money. The third question is this. What competes for being number one in our life? God only. Yesterday morning I came in. That's part of my routine, my pre-game warm-up of preaching as I come in Saturday mornings in whatever location I'm preaching and I run through the sermon. And I was meeting a friend at 8.15 and I was long-winded yesterday. I know, something for y'all to be aware of today. So I was going to be late and I, when I met her at Panera, she's always so gracious to say, so what's the sermon about tomorrow? And so I was telling her and I got to this question about what competes for being number one in our life, God only. And she goes, Brooke, those things are still going to compete. And I said, yeah, they will. And Larry would call these our little G-gods, those things that we don't intend to worship, that we don't intend to be our little G-gods, but they become our little G-gods. And then they come in the form of success and fear in anger and resentment. They become these things of accumulating things of our possessions. And somehow, slowly, they compete for being number one in our life instead of God only. I told my friend that this concept, this part is rooted in the Old Testament. In a culture in which the Old Testament existed, it was what's called polytheism, more than one God. 
And though we don't live in a culture where there are golden cows on the altar, yet we do have our little G gods. And what Jesus is reminding us or telling us for the first time is that we have only one God, our God. The God of scripture, the God of love, the God who came to be with us through Jesus Christ. That's our only God. So we have God first, God's first, and God only. And the fourth question is this. What are our next steps in God first, God's first, and God only? And what we want to consider is first fruits and tithing. First fruits mean that God gets first. I told the story last week, so if you were in contemporary last week, I apologize, you've heard this story. But when I entered the recovery community in the mid, my mid-20s, I ended up back in church three years later, and I was telling with my, talking with my mentor in recovery, uh, I guess we were talking about giving to the church, and I said, yeah, I'll wait and see how much I have left. And then I write that check last in the month. And she said, Brooke, that's your first check. And I went, whoa. Let's talk, because I don't know if I'm going to have enough. She goes, but God gets first. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And so I began to write God's check first. Instead of waiting to see if it all worked, it was an act of faith that I would somehow have enough or I would have to make decisions about what I did and didn't do as the month went on. That has been 28 years ago, and I still think about that story. It's first fruit. We see it in the story of Cain and Abel, where one brought the first of his offering, the first fruits. The other one just offered up what was left. And when we talk about tithing, tithing is 10%. It's not something that the institution of church came up with. It is within Scripture of giving God 10%. You see, this isn't about Concord. It is about what your giving does at Concord and how we live out the mission that God gives us. This is about God first, God's first, and God only, in taking those next steps. I read an article in preparation for the sermon about how to preach about stewardship. Part of me wanted to say, can I just read that sermon or that article, but that seemed inappropriate. But there were two major points that the author of the article made that just made me stop. And this is what they are. One is that our giving and our stewardship of what's God's first is grace. It isn't because the church tells us to do it. Our living and our being as disciples of Jesus Christ, including giving, is rooted in the, God's amazing grace for us about that we don't earn it. It's not about how much we work, how hard we work, how much we give. That at the core, it's about God's grace. 
the curriculum that we offer for financial planning here is called Saving Grace. It isn't how to spend your money responsibly. It's saving grace. That's who we are. And the other thing the article said is this. For many Christians, sacrificial giving is the first great adventure of their faith. Have you had that great adventure yet? Are you ready for another one? It had me reflecting about my own story and our own decisions as a family in giving. And one that just is, that pops up that I, I think about often is in the fall of 2008, my husband was laid off. I don't know if y'all remember that. It wasn't a great fall. It was the recession of 2008. Lots was unknown. It was just chaotic. And our church where we attended at the time had what it's called the Happy Birthday Jesus offering. It was a Christmas offering. And what the pastor would challenge us to do each year is, is that we spend as much on Jesus as we did on the gifts that we gave. The first time I heard that, I was like, is he serious? Like, Really? He wants us to give an offering in the amount that we're spending on gifts. And that, that Christmas of 2008, we didn't have a lot to give. And I sure was hesitant about giving that offering because I didn't know what 2009 was going to bring for us as a family. But I vividly remember putting that check on the altar because that was the one I wasn't sure about. It wasn't the one that we had made the numbers all add up. It was the one where we said, we're not sure, but we believe in God and we're going to go on an adventure with God and we're going to put this one at the altar. It's not the most we've ever given, but it was the one that challenged us to consider, is God first? Is God's first? And is it God only? And what are our next steps? Those questions remain for us today. May we go to God in prayer about that. Because in the end of the day, that's who we work this out with, is our God. Our God of amazing grace, of the cross and the empty tomb. Let us pray. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we thank you. We thank you that you give us your words that guide us and how we live this life, not as culture tells us, but radically through your amazing grace and unconditional love. Lord, be with each of us as we leave this place today. May we take time to pray to speak to you and to listen about how we can reset, reorient, or begin a life of God first, God's first, and God only into your hands. May your will, not our will, be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email 
to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.